Take the usual podcast hosting companies and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the podcast of Matrix hosting and you'll experience a completely different world of whole podcast library hosting. Choose wisely at podcastmatrix.com. That's podcastmatrix.com. Shield. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, Shield, the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. Shield's activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. The comic world is changed. Much that once was is lost. For none now live who remember it. Back in 1965, Stanley and Jack Kirby created the organization that is S.H.I.E.L.D. In Strange Tales, number 135. The adventures, characters, stories, and memories created by all resonate in everything that is Marvel. But this is our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Where the stories have been delivered, true, where the characters have made their mark, bared their souls, and made it finally to the 136th episode to deliver us their final tales. When the makers of the past are gone, how do you pick up the thread shared of an old life? How do you go on when in your heart you begin to understand there is no going back? Or is there? It's time for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a truly complete detailed and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. We're closing the door on an adventure started, as of this recording, 2,519 days ago. This time it's season 7, the final season, episode 13, the final episode, what we're fighting for. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. What comes next? Boy, if the last two years have not marked some strange, interesting times inside of the Marvel adventure, mm. what does come next? There, there are so many checkboxes that showcase Marvel content to be delivered if it's not on Disney+. Plus. Then it's inside the movie theater stream, yeah. if it ever returns back to normal. <laughs> right. uh, but then also just in the stages and the phases that are beginning to build inside of the Marvel Universe, either inside of rumor, inside of stated fact that's squeaking out from what's being created inside of Disney+, Plus, or other sources that are generating these little nuggets of very interesting content that is all going to eventually spill into the audience that's listening to our podcast right now. So what comes next? And the answer is 
We're not entirely sure. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. We, we, we live in strange times, friend, and, and knowing anything of what's going to be delivered, especially in regard to Marvel content, I don't think anything is a certainty anymore, especially in regard to the feature films and how they are going to be processed and or shown. And all of that makes any delivery of anything, story-wise, especially character-wise, especially after the conglomeration now of what was Fox into what is now Disney, to showcase all of those characters and properties that are now a piece of this whole that needs to be showcased that the fans are ready to take in. But we do not have an avenue to tell you any of it. Yeah. Uh, What I can tell you is that when the stuff does start to trickle out, we will be there. We will. And the the best part is that the generation of this show and the audience, that, that's you guys that are listening, that this show has generated for us is that we can now go back and start backfilling a lot of the Marvel Universe that we have not talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, we have specifically stayed right on track with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because this program really has dovetailed wonderfully into a production schedule that we've been holding now for these 2,519 days. And with it gone, it now creates a giant window of opportunity to go back and backfill some of the very interesting and not yet provided perspective reviews of Marvel feature films. So that's going to be first on the docket, is going back and knocking some of that yeah. out. When we finally start hearing in that, that weird trickle of what's going to be happening inside of the Disney Plus universe, that's also something else that we're going to go back and, and definitely look at, specifically... Without question, what's going to be happening with Falcon and the Winter Soldier? The Winter Soldier. Yeah. All of that is going to be not only some super delicious stuff, but the what if cone is also incredibly delicious looking. And the great thing about it is, is that I believe, and they've done this with most Disney Plus stuff. It's weekly. They will have right. once they have the season done, they'll put it out week to week until yeah. it's over with. So that's the exact same situation that we yeah. had with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I really enjoy that. In fact, the, the last time I can remember an upheaval, I'll call it an, upheaval, an upheaval, in general workflow for the network, the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, was when Marvel came out with Daredevil. Mm, yeah. Because the way that Daredevil worked was, hey guys, how's it going? It's Thursday afternoon. Oh, Here's 13 episodes for you to spend the entire weekend doing nothing, sit in your jammies, and binge. Right. And what that instantly means, especially for a series of podcasters that have been reviewing things weekly, recording, and then pushing out the episode maybe two or three days later, is that that's impossible. I won't say there's no way. There's no productive way for anybody to keep a human job (laughs) when 13 episodes of a show are delivered on a day. And then you have to somehow catch up and then somehow hold the audience's attention span. It's just, I worked every single model that I could think of to try and make it work because Daredevil was that, that initial season of Daredevil was really compelling. Mm -hmm. What they were building with it was really, really compelling. And the things that they were able to achieve with that series are extraordinary. They still are to this day. Right. But what they were not was a viable thing to be able to podcast about regularly, weekly. Because if one person sits down and watches six episodes, well, you'll never listen to the first six episodes. So the the mechanics of that didn't work well. That they are going to be generating this weekly really does sing 
to what we do, especially inside of two guys, the two guys talking cone, and especially inside of the Agents of Shield cone. The other benefit there is that the Agents of Shield, it's fun that we're talking about the destruction of the Agents of Shield inside of our storytelling here, because we're still going to be here, regardless of whether or not whatever happens inside this episode and uh, other things that happen inside of the Marvel cone. We're still going to be here. What's come before? I would tend to be amazed if you have not found your way to one of our many perspective reviews inside the Marvel Universe, but who knows? Maybe you haven't. There are oodles of perspective reviews of previous movies. All of them are at least four or five years after the feature film was released. Mm -hmm. So you really are getting that true perspective value. It's not wasn't released the same weekend as the movie came out wasn't released even the same couple of years after the movie came out. It's always multiple years so that you can look back and see what has been generated by what is almost always a corn combine of cash Right. for every single one of these movies. All of them, even the what people consider the, the least successful films, have all generated this monster load of cash. And we love talking about them. You can listen to all of them. We're going to list everything that we've got in the cone inside the very robust show notes for this episode so enjoy the links to those and please let us know which ones you'd like us to go back and readdress that we have not yet touched and just fyi there are a lot of them oh yeah there 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 was a ton there where every it felt like every year there was at least another two things to throw onto the fire what that means is that especially in perspective review there's a lot to get to so we can't wait to bring in hosts and guest hosts that are going to help us fill out those pictures to make sure that there is a very robust picture of everything Marvel in regard to feature film reviews via the Perspective Review series, which you can find out more about over at PerspectiveReviews.com. Nick, an incredibly fitting and chubby entry to this episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, our coverage of the final season's final episode, episode 13, what we're fighting for. Let's get to it. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, Blogger's Bug, and the St. Charles Office Center. Thrown right in. Boy, I realize that they've made these two episodes separate episodes, but this is the way to go. The, the, the delivery mechanism that they chose to use for the launch of this episode where it feels so cinematic because as the logo fades, you can hear what was going on inside the last episode and then you're already being deposited into what's happening this episode without seeing anything yet. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed this. And for any show, really, that's coming next, I totally recommend this, especially when it's that, oh my God, right after you left last episode, something else is happening. It's a wonderful platform. The energy that's carried and propelled from the previous week asterisk is incredibly imparted here as you start this episode i thought it was brilliant yeah it reminds me of some of the times in previous seasons they've treated the first two episodes of a season and the last two episodes of a season they've shown them on the same night yeah if you go back and listen to our robust library you'll find out that sometimes that works. It's like, oh, yes, these two episodes needed to be watched back to back. Yeah, yeah. Or 
eh, this is just two episodes, mm -hmm. and they just decided to shove them on at the same time. And I was and you, worried. Usually that was about scheduling, too. Well, true, true. I was afraid that that was going to be the case here. Mm -hmm. It's like, you don't got any scheduling problems, guys. It's This is the, this is the end. Yeah. So there's nothing really hindering you from playing this episode this week and then last episode next week. Right. Well, more importantly, there there's nothing else that's going to be put on. Every right. movie has been pushed back for at least, what, 10 months? Exactly. So I'm glad that had I watched these episodes, episode 12 and 13, back to back, it would have felt like, ah, this is meant to be. This was how you were supposed to watch them. I don't regret waiting. Don't I'm either. glad that we've we chopped this in half because yeah. it deserves it. Yeah. This is the end of the show and the end of the normalization of what we're doing with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So yeah. I'm glad we waited, but I'm also glad to see that had we had we not waited, this would have been wonderful to imbibe double barrel yeah the the other piece I, I really enjoy here is that especially the way that this episode was structured in particular the middle section of it i'm really glad that this was separated because i i think i'd have had a, a tough time following not only the first portion but then this second portion delivered because that we're going to talk about it in detail inside of this review the middle section of this episode in particular has so much stuff going on inside oh yeah of it. yeah and so being able to separate it, I think, instantly benefited this episode. We can go back. As I was trying to illustrate inside of my eloquent intro inside of this episode, insert blubbery man flash, I'm sorry. You can go back. Mm -hmm. And they affirm, if I'm not mistaken, as the scene is fading in, that you can go back. It's, it's not even on screen until it snaps into screen. I think and that's when it. I think that's when the black goes away, after you hear you Fitz say we can go yeah. back, and then it's like, oh, all right, and uh, and we're here. Yeah, and I, I didn't know what to think. Uh, all I knew is that we're talking about time travel. You and I have experienced one in particular time travel episode with Marvel that sketch <laughs> is probably the best term for it, but. So I'm super curious as to what's going to happen as we experience it inside of this evolution, this this iteration, this this platform. And and so I was very excited that there is somehow that we can go back. There is a solution. Yeah. And and all they had to do was say the words we can go back. That was amazing. Where the hell have you been? The frantic front-end nature of this episode is one of my favorites of all time inside of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because you have the elation inside of the last episode of Fitz's reappearance. So that's all there. And what is so perfect about it is that it's almost completely unheralded. There's not... There's him, and he's just popped out of this thing. That's cool. But there is no triumphant soundtrack. There is no... Flat, yeah, there's no spotlight. Hail the Conquering Hero. Right, at all. Nothing at all. And it doesn't become evident why that is until you finish this episode. Masterstroke. An absolute masterstroke. So that front-end peppering that you get from all the characters, where the hell have you been? What what were we supposed to do without you? We have been looking for you forever. All that 
all that frantic nature of the mm. front end of this episode I thought was just delicious to watch because it instantly allows you to go, okay, what if, what if what they're saying might be important? And I've done that inside of other things that I get really interested in. And I know that all of you as Marvel fans also have done exactly the same thing where you're watching the screen and you're hoping that maybe in addition to what you know you're supposed to get, you're also going to get something else on a delivered level that you aren't quite cognizant of yet. Mm, yeah. And during my second viewing of this one, I did get a lot of that. And this was the front end and the first portion where I was going back and I was trying to figure out exactly what was being said so that I can try and understand how the interlocking pieces of the puzzle are going to work inside this episode. So it was excellent, especially on the second watch. Well, I mean, literally within the first minute of this episode, they they just they take the dial, the tension dial, and they turn it up to 11 in the first minute. Yeah. It sets the tone for everything else, and you are on the edge of your seat from the get-go. Yeah. And I love that. No, I, I do too. And not only was I on the edge of the seat from the get-go because of the frantic nature of what's going on right here, but because I needed to pay attention. The episode compelled me to pay attention. Well, right. This is the end of the series, man. You can't... <laughs> they're not just going to phone it in. Right. Right. It's not the iteration fits thought, but... That's not important right now. I love this because all of us that have had anything to do with Marvel over the last three years know that there was only one time that we won of the 14,000 plus iterations that Doctor Strange could see and experience. There was only one. And what I love about Fitz's realization and, and not learning knowledge of Oh, okay, so I'm in I'm in iteration number 776. Oh, it's not going exactly the way I planned? Oh, okay, well, let's figure it out. I love that. I love that this isn't the one that he planned, but let's see what's going on here, see if we can figure it out. I love that nature. It's something that I, I, I wish was in way more of my life right now. Uh, as a 50-year-old as a man, there's nothing more frustrating than especially being as thirsting for more education as I am as a 50 year old man working with other people that are not only not interested in education but interested in spilling whatever models and knowledge they have onto everything else that it has nothing to do with mm. and so seeing an open mind or knowing that there is an option for learning something new even though time is running out and hey dude there's a bunch of important shit to do here that there is somebody that is interested in being compelled to learn something new because you gotta. Right. I love that. I love that flavor that's given here. It only lasts a moment on the front end that you see it. But knowing that that is what's propelling the entire episode, I love that. Well, go back to the first episode of the first season, and Fitz is just the tech guy. You yes. know, sure, I'm I'm brilliant, and I, yes. can, I can make you stuff, but you have to tell me what I need to make and where I need to send it. Now, he is a man who can look at the situation, adapt, and still get the results that he wants. Yeah. And a huge progression of yeah. character. Giant progression. What I also love, too, is that they haven't, they didn't have to have the perplexing grabbing the chin and scratching the, the non-existent almost facial hairs on, on his, and, and tapping his cheek and, and all this other stuff that was you know a part of him thinking he just did it 
I, there didn't need to be anything deliberate that made him made you think, okay, he's stopping to do something. Right. I'm so glad they didn't do that because there are a lot of people that just operate like that where, okay, so let's get on to the next thing. And you get on to the next thing without there being some giant speed bump where you have to pause or do something. You just move on. And, again, it's about that. I have a feeling that all of the writers, they have, a, they have an akin workflow, but I think all of them work differently, but they've been working together long enough that they realize the teamwork that can happen yeah. when they just write. And they showcase that as well inside of the delivery of this episode with the acting portrayals that were given us. I, I really enjoyed that. A quantum bridge. Wow. Again, I don't even think we're two minutes into the episode yet. We're going through six different bullet points already. But the quantum bridge is the instant techno babble that wasn't techno babble. All of us inside of the Marvel cone, asterisk, understand the concept and the reasoning used when you evoke the word quantum anything. Quantum sandwich, quantum blah, whatever. It's, it's, it's the technical band-aid to explain something really, really detailed that's really, really powerful that needs to be showcased right now. And here we go. And so enjoy your quantum bridge. Mm -hmm. You have the word bridge, you have the word quantum. Both of the words serve the purpose, and the story moves so fast that it moves right by it. Loved it. Evoking the quantum realm. I love this too. Because not only does it affirm and justify what's going on with the quantum bridge air quotes, but it also instantly entails everything that you see on screen, thereby the rest of the series, into all things that you've seen that are Marvel. None of the scenes and special effects that were used inside of this were discernible from anything that I saw inside of Endgame or inside of any of the Ant-Man films. Right. All of it was picture perfect. And I don't know that the same studios did it, but all of it was perfectly done. It was seamless. I think the only thing that I could have asked for more during this is as he was talking about the quantum realm, he throws out the name Hank Pym. Mm. Dr. Hank Pym, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Having more connective tissue. I yeah. mean, this is the end. Yeah. Let's let's glom on to the movie universe since they won't do it to us. Right. I wanted a little bit more than that because, I mean, essentially, when you boil this down, the ending of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is endgame. It, yeah. It, it really is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a TV-sized it, it, version a of yeah. endgame. Yeah. To a lesser scale. Let, let, let's be, let, let, let us be honest. It is to a lesser scale. Yeah. But... It's still oh, and it's only, Endgame. And it's only one-sixth the length yeah. of Endgame <laughs> right. as well. Right. <laughs> Incredibly well done. The transfer of property demarcation with the quantum realm, I think, is a, another master stroke that instantly allows our characters to be interacting with the same style environments and, and storytelling tools that are used inside of the cinematic universe. Hence, checkbox. Deke realizes that bubble tech is bubble tech plus power. I can remember vividly hating Deke and wondering what the hell is going on with this character. Right. Like so many of the other characters inside of this show. 
And what they have been able to deliver with him, especially during, I don't know, the last five or six episodes, really is monumental. Because Deke is another one of those characters that, because he doesn't matter, and because he doesn't exist, and because the timelines have stepped by his literal living existence iteration so many times, he could get so impractical so quickly. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't. He doesn't. In particular, inside this episode, he has some linchpin moments where it's not it's not that what he says is so incredibly important, but it's value. He, he adds value to the episode no matter where he appears, even if it's in a, something as strangely satisfying as the karaoke moments. Him, him leading in song. Well, we should have hated that. And we didn't. We absolutely reveled in it because of the it, it fit. It was a, again. It was that situationally appropriate, not quite humor, but it made sense. It made sense for the character that they painted as Deke. Right. And inside of this particular sample that I'm referring to, this is where Deke realizes, well, if it's bubble tech, it's just bubble tech. We gotta we gotta amp up the power, and then we're gonna be just fine. So he's taken on a lot of the same characteristics that. Grandpa Fitz has that he's now incorporated into his life this whole time. And I love that because it's showcasing the legacy, but it's also showcasing yet another character inside this show that's willing to learn, even though he knows everything that's supposed to happen inside of his own life and future, he's still willing to learn. The character has changed actually season to season since his, since his uh, introduction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And despite his idiosyncrasies he is a character that when the chips are down he'll be right there next to your side whether he'll be useful or not that that remains to be seen but he won't back down from the fight yeah and that's something I, i've always appreciated scrappy, scrappy. yeah scrap there, there's no question. well growing up in the the future that he did you mm -hmm. had to be scrap as well as being an offspring of the family of fitz and simmons it mm -hmm. makes perfect sense Someone must stay behind. As much as I wanted to throw this into the you got to be kidding me bus, every every television show and hero moment does this story, I couldn't hate it. I couldn't hate it because of the story we're being delivered. And then the what, what I really loved here was like each of the characters that was standing in the room is a chamber inside of the revolver that I have to load around into and then prepare for battle. And and so you know you had you quickly had to as you're as you're watching, you had to contemplate, okay, who, who are they going to dump or who is the best match to stay behind to get the job done. And so as you're doing that, they're running through the the listing of characters via dialogue. It it, it was symmetry. It was wonderful. Oh, yeah. I loved it. This will be the last time we're together. Unless it isn't. <laughs> That's what I loved about all of this. Is that there there was this impending doom of this is going to be the last the last opportunity for all of us to be together. Unless it's not. Because eight minutes ago we thought that there was no returning back to normal time a sea. And there is. There absolutely is. So we, we we, we may never see all of these characters together again on screen. But it doesn't matter. 
it, 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 it doesn't matter because we've got the story here. And the, the thought that you're given at the beginning of the episode is that, you know, this is probably the end. Well, maybe it isn't. And I love that that, oh, maybe it isn't, is, is tacked on there because it's, it's exciting. Well, I brought that up in our previous episode. The, the way that they've been talking, the way Enoch mentioned it, the way Sybil mentioned it, this is the last mission of these Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Then in this instant, Fitz says, this will be the last time we're in the same room together. So they keep it very cryptic. Yeah. And he's not lying because it was the last time all of them were in a room together Mm -hmm. because... Sousa stayed behind. Well, no, he didn't. So anyway, just when you think that Sousa is going to stay behind, thereby saving the day and finding a place for the man out of time, the the ever-present hero, but the sour last kiss with Daisy, well, none of that's going to happen. Because... Deke chooses to be a rock god. <laughs> this is great. And I love the matter of courseness that's here. Because, again, during the, the parlay of revolver chamberness that we talked about, you, you finally get down to all of it and you realize that the guy that needs to stay behind, that not only has the technical expertise, but that according to this timeline and that if we can go back, the one that should stay is Deke. It has to be Deke. It, and and it, it does make perfect sense. The only two characters that would have been expendable enough to stay behind in an alternate reality are Sousa and Deke because Mm -hmm. they are essentially the same. They are characters out of time. One's from the past, one's from the future. And while it would be bittersweet to rip asunder a budding romance (laughs) in its early stages, they've reintroduced Sousa back into Marvel proper asterisk i mean whatever you want to say Mm -hmm. and uh, again like deke says this guy gets amazed by a light bulb (laughs) okay so it has to be deke deke is the only person expendable enough to stay behind and do all the tech stuff that we need Mm -hmm. it makes total sense and yes it's sad but you actually kind of you root for him because by by staying behind there are possibilities for him. Well, not only that, but I mean, you know, Fitz and Simmons, they now understand how they have to guide their daughter to name their grandson. Everyone pitches in. This is phenomenal. This tiny little less than 30 second segment where everything is put into place and prepped is, again, some of the best cinematic seeing of anything Gotta love a montage. That I've seen in a long time. The, the voiceovers are perfect. The way that this team showcases how it works together is phenomenal. And it will be sorely missed when it is gone. Farewell, Agent Shaw. On three. Now, do you mean one, two, three, go? Or on three? No, I mean like on three, one, two, three. And this is fun. It's a little nod to a previous Lethal Weapon film. And it's an old trick that absolutely pays off that instantly works. 
and the culmination of the special effects and the acting portrayals that are showcased here are perfect. And again, it's also totally Deke. The bubble works and people walked forward, including Deke. Again, this is great. Deke has stepped up to the plate, accomplished what he needed to. The bubble works and everybody steps forward because it has worked. They've been able to remove the threat from that existing iteration so that that world doesn't get torn asunder by the orbiting spacecraft that would completely destroy everything that they wanted to inside of there. Mm -hmm. And now they won't. And on top of that, S.H.I.E.L.D. still exists. Right. And it will be led by Director Shaw. Yeah. And again, I maybe in some strange fast forward inside of a future feature film where well they'll they'll show this new office and they'll show an office that is director deke's office where this other series of people could always be a what if episode yeah you know that that would be fun i i look forward to i look forward to learning more about that and again it was fun that deke literally gets to take the mantle that he probably has been wanting for a while it's just that every other option that would make more sense is gone. Meanwhile, inside the quantum realm. This is great. Again, seamless. All three of the Chronicom ships are there. Uh, all, all of it's being led by the Zephlorian. All of it is perfect. The special effects that are done are absolutely seamless to what we saw inside of anything Marvel to date. Mm-hmm. And the, the starships that we saw... We're not like, oh, yeah, a starship, okay, whatever. That's not what these ships are. They're these massive ships, and they're showcased perfectly inside the quantum realm, inside of each iteration of when they show it, inside of this tiny little television show. It was phenomenal. Drawing a line from something small to the rest. I called it. I called it. Yeah. I knew that there was a way to get Simmons back yeah this is another phenomenal piece of storytelling and again we're we're reaching that point inside the episode where i'm really really happy i watched this more than once Mm -hmm. because the delivery of content that you get here is not only masterful not only is it robust it is fast oh yeah for those that are curious we're going to get to it later but we get to minute 31 of this episode and we're already at what would be the second part of a second episode. So it's it's a very strange delivery, and it is absolutely storytelling via fire hose from this point on inside the episode. Well, right, and especially this next chunk of the episode because it's the info dump. This is the yes. information yes. you did not know. Yeah. This is everything you've been scratching your head about this entire season. Hell, from the end of the previous season, yeah. you've been wondering... How does this work? How did all of this work? Yeah. And we get it. The thing is, though, is that where where other shows fail, they don't speed it up enough. Mm-hmm. They linger. And this hits you with it. One, two, one, two, straight to the body. And it because it has to. It has to keep the pace up. Because if we dip in pace, even for a minute, the entire episode could derail. Well, and the series. Well, yeah, I mean, you fail. I mean, uh, you, you fail on your f- series finale. You're, 
you, you can't really say, well, we had a really great yeah. run, I, but our ending sucked. We're talking to you, Dexter. <laughs> I think anybody that's listening, we can you can hearken back to any of a number of different series where not only did they start with incredible impact, they they reached a pinnacle of incredible impact. And then something terrible happened. Somebody slipped on a banana peel, and, and from then on, they yeah. just it's and, just and, downhill. And whether it was only just a season finale being screwed up that was somehow, you know, pull the stick up, that was somehow resurrected inside of future season iterations, or if it was a, se- a series finale that just sucked. You mentioned Dexter, which is just... There was a whole bunch of things wrong with Dexter, but <laughs> the... It's it's probably one of the best samples of absolute failure, my opinion, my professional opinion of reviewing that series. And that's not what happens here at all. The the what is delivered here, and again we're gonna go through every single piece of it, is not only wonderful puzzle piece interlocking mechanism, but incredibly emotion generating on every single level. Arya is the centerpiece to backfill story glory. Now, before we find out that there is an Arya that is a person, we find out that Arya is actually a star, a star system, mm-hmm. that is being referred to and is one of Simmons' favorite star systems. And it's wonderful because tucked inside of all of the glory and the stories and the what we've been going through we find out that this is the tiny little seed that's planted that allows the latent slash thought they were erased memories to reassert themselves and take root and then begin building forward into realized memory. And I, th- this whole thing happens so fast and is so robust. It is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, it's the snippets that they decide to show of this life that Fitz and Simmons had out in space waiting to fulfill the mission. It's the right moments to give us the feel of, wow, they really did have their time together. I think had we dwelled on it, it would have overshadowed everything else that's important in this episode. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that really sells this is that there's the balance. Because this really all does hinge on Fitz and Simmons figuring this out. It does. So they are the linchpins of everything working, and everything else comes down from there. Everybody has their, their part to play. But if it's not for Fitz and Simmons being on their A game, the plan fails. We're all do- We're doomed. We're doomed. Yeah. So, and I don't want to say we hurried through this. We didn't. But we spent just enough time developing all of this and going through all the pieces parts that we needed to know to understand how all of this grand plan of Fitz and Simmons fit together. It it, it just works. Yeah. And, and almost twice. We're going to get to more of that as we get going on here. But, uh, again, I I'm so appreciative that I was able to watch this twice because essentially you get four times where you get it dumped on you and it all it all falls into place perfectly put your face on <laughs> this was fun we get to see full chronicom head 
and I, I thought it was spectacular. Again, it's some of that perfectly placed, appropriately placed humor that makes sense, and the 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 practical effect that was used here for Enoch's head, I thought was just delicious. It was it was perfectly it was perfectly placed. I love that he's got the bag up in front of his face while he's talking, so as to not instantly horrify the people uh, the people that are in the jump seats up front. I, I, I thought that this was a this was a great scene. Well, and you bring up the people in the jump seat. It's Piper and Flint. Yeah, I'm like, honestly, I forgot about them. I thought they were dead too. I th- I'm literally, I thought everybody was dead. <laughs> I did. Because it's been so long since I yeah. saw the end of season six. Yeah, I just I agree. thought everybody was dead. Yeah, I agree. And I agree. and here we go. We've got Piper and Flip back. And I'm like, oh, oh, we've got more friends coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it was that it's that warm. It's like a warm blanket. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's only two characters. It's not like well, in three if we fast forward to the end. But it's not like. It's not, hey, look! It's Steve Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> well, true. It's, it, it's nothing like that, but it, it absolutely is a comfort thing. Enoch had a copy of the time stream, even after dying. Enoch keeps on giving. Well, he kind of he gave this before he died, but time travel's tricky. <laughs> Because he did die before the. Right. I my head I, hurts. Anyway, I don't care. I just love that he also gave then. Yeah. And. Well, I just love the line. It's it's the perfect dovetail into everything that is Enoch, not only for this season, not only for this series, but this legacy that was created for a Chronicom named Enoch. I love the line that Enoch has where he talks about all of his adventures with Fitz taught him how to be a pretty good outlaw, and that's how he stole a copy of the time stream. And I'm like, yeah. And, and then you can start to understand, especially from that, and then you add everything on that we saw of Enoch this season and the getting left behind for decades. <laughs> and the funny thing about that, though, is it's kind of fortuitous because he kind of needed to be left behind mm-hmm. because he was partially responsible for distributing throughout the time stream the 084s. Yeah. So, I mean, it all works out. It's all part of the plan. The time monolith revisited uh, that we get to see Flint back here, somehow alive and not dead, not only gives us the opportunity to see his powers, but we get to see some of his powers reassembling a piece of the time monolith, which is the front end piece of being able to propel what's going on inside of what we see. Yep. Again, I would have loved to have been in the writer's room where all of the writers are sitting in a circle depositing ideas, and whoever came up with this one, god damn, here's, here's your cookie. I'm, I'm sorry, wow. I, I gotta say, I gotta say, I can understand this a hell of a lot better than what they're trying to pull over an endgame. Yeah, because we've we've talked about this both in front of the mics and uh, and away from the mics. Mm-hmm. I still believe that Endgame tried to be smarter than it needed to be. Yeah, where the whole time travel it stuff to be big. It was. needed to be yeah. It needed to I be get epic it. Get film. Be big, be epic, but don't be so complicated that yeah. you contradict everything else yeah. in the genre. In or I, I should say the subgenre, because there were so many genres in that movie the subgenre of time travel story 
to where you completely and you think you can get away with it by making the joke in the film of well this is how this film did it and this film did it and this did any film that has the word time in it this is how they pulled it off and you're telling me that's not the way and it kind of makes me feel like well we're just we're going to do it our way and screw all the other ways so that we can be different and again just my professional opinion yeah this here though this makes sense yeah I, I think what I can also see is that eventually, in the future, there's going to be a very large endgame-like fix slash reissuance that, to Marvel's credit, you and I both have to take our hats off to them very, very often. There is a way that they make the pieces fit. Right. And so, who knows? We'll just who, see who how they handle how they handle things once they introduce King the Conqueror into the film series. Because that guy just does nothing but jump through time to screw with the Avengers. Gone to complete the mission for an instant. What do you say? It's happened in many other films. Where someone looks like they've left and then they're back instantaneously. But during the time that they were gone, this entire tapestry of storytelling has happened Mm -hmm. and every other time that i've seen it inside of anything else i'm easily as enamored with it this one is just delivered so quickly so pristinely with so much detail that you actually get the second uppercut of storytelling about i don't know that it's matched i i would have to really rack my brain in regard to time travel storytelling especially in the 42 minute variety to try and, and and give something that is on the same level of this as delivering such a satisfactory story so quickly and and painstakingly detailed that again it's the fire hose of information especially upon the second watching the, all the light bulbs then turned on for me the first time it didn't hmm. the first time it, it was absolutely then having to take the notes the second time while watching it and and literally making the details of everything that I saw that made my mind work instantly helped me understand what was going on here because it's so incredibly detailed. Gliding soundtrack is perfect in this section. Everything that you hear on the first showcase of memories being revealed the soundtrack there is probably some of the best soundtracking I can remember inside of a televised property. It's so appropriate. And I, I think that, that that's an, it's an overarching theme that we've had inside of this entire season is that regardless of what they've thrown at us, even if it's something you and I don't particularly care for, which frankly didn't happen a whole lot inside this season, mm-hmm. but when they did have something that we didn't particularly care for, what they were issuing was appropriate. And isn't that funny that that needs to be something common inside of storytelling is that while you may not like it and it may not serve the purpose that you're looking for, damn if it isn't appropriate. Soundtracks or scores, depending on how you want to differentiate the two, Mm -hmm. because they are different. Scores is more appropriate here, especially when there's, there's no lyrics and there's no, you know, there's no song by the Goo Goo Dolls. Right. It elicits emotion. Right. That 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 is the whole point. Yeah. It is it is to elicit 
an emotional response for the situation that you are watching on either the big screen or the small screen. It is a manipulation if it's done right. Because words and acting and a situation, yeah, that might get to you. Yeah. But when you add yeah. the score, it's like this, it's it's a cheeseburger, but you have to put, here's the meat, yeah, it, here's the cheese, here's the bacon. Well, it's a Dagwood But sandwich. you have to melt it all together to mm -hmm. where it's nice and gooey, and when you take that bite, you get that elicit of emotion. Yeah. Whether it be joy, hilarity, sadness, shock, horror, yeah. if scores are done right... You feel that emotion. Yeah. And I tell you what, this episode sent me on an emotional roller coaster. Studying the time stream, doing the research. This is another piece where the soundtrack slash score here is so appropriately put. Where you've got Fitz looking in the front camera right, and he looks down and there's Cerebro light that he puts on. Right. And... It's magical. It's it's it, being someone who is studious to begin with. This instantly reminds me of when you know there's there's this monumental thing that needs to get done and nobody wants to do it, but you know that you have a thirst to want to get it done. You just don't know everything about it yet, so you gotta roll up your sleeves and dig in. And I love that Fitz has become the character that will just do this on a whim, just. Okay, this has got to be done, no problem. Snaps on the, the, the skull cap, even though it might provide him with risk, blah, etc., and gets the work done. I love that inside not only this episode, but what they've created as a character for Fitz, and it's showcased wonderfully here. Well, it's also a, I guess, a red herring. They put the idea in your head when he talks about spending too much time studying the time stream can lead to radiation poisoning. So you start taking everything that you think that you remember about Gemma's reactions to when she could remember Fitz, and you're like, is is Fitz going to die? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's alive now, but yeah. is he going to die? And and they, I think they do that deliberately because yeah. they want you to think that there's more peril to all of this, and they're distracting you from the real reason or the aptly named episode title what we're fighting for and i thought it was brilliant and yeah. it's done so quick yeah there's a piece of this that in particular this scene and this little this little piece here before you get to what i'm call, i'm going to call the the second visit to the past that reminds me very much of that reiteration of star trek the very first film and what I'm referring to is the Star Trek, the Kelvin timeline film, where Spock explains his visit back in time. That same flavor that happens inside of that film is very much represented here in regard to the cadence and what you're seeing on screen and the speed in which it's delivered. The difference is that what's happening inside of that film is ridiculously expensive looking with all kinds of special effects. Oh, and by the way, Leonard Nimoy. Right. And what you've got here is you've got Cerebro Light, Bicycle Helmet, and Fitz delivering something very akin to that same that same evocative speech process that instantly gives you this giant chunk of delicious meatball sandwich that you take in and you want another bite. Right. Unlike 
The Spock stuff, though, that is just that it's exposition. Right. This is exposition. But when it's being told back and forth, like this ping pong match between Simmons and Fitz, Mm -hmm. because, you know, Fitz is leading her and she's filling in holes. There's something that doesn't feel like exposition. Agreed. And, And we've talked about this. Time immemorial inside this program. Mm-hmm. This show does info dump like no other property right. ever in time. Yeah. And I'm so appreciative of it. And I hope that these writers latch on to some other projects. And I would love to know what, whatever projects they are because this is the kind of storytelling that I want, especially in my sci fi, but also inside of characters that are tethered to the Marvel Universe. How long can you focus on the research when you have a freaking time machine? And this is fun because I remember inside of one of our previous episodes, there was a discussion of where you and I just looked at each other and we go, what if Fitz and Simmons just choose to not do anything? Yeah, we talked about that. They've got a time machine. Then they had a life. Right. And then they got back to work. And I love this. Not only do I love this, and again, we're going to talk about it more, but this does speak to a piece of Endgame that I absolutely loved where Cap was able to have a life none of which we heard anything about except for the dance and the kiss and the (laughs) but again I loved it because it's so incredibly evocative putting off saying goodbye but can't stay forever this is great again I've never been a giant friend of the word goodbye for just about anybody you know see you around and we'll see you next time. How many times have you guys heard me say that to all of you now? And so I'm, 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 I'm I was like, "Good journey." Yeah. From Masters of the Universe. Yeah, yeah. The film. Oh it, yeah, that's right. I brought that up. Yeah, and that's a great tether because it's so incredibly prolific. Anyway, that's not important right now. This was great. Again, it's perfectly placed inside of the cone of storytelling. It's perfectly placed inside of the. The process of evoking emotions as we go throughout this episode, this was perfectly placed. Choosing to leave and preparing for the in-a-snap future. This was great because you really don't know exactly what you're seeing. Even the second time around. Mm -hmm. You're not entirely sure what you're... You're watching Simmons running through this gamut of emotions and... You know, she, she she just can't make that decision, and it's so robust. And the the score here swells once more, making it just such a perfect bite of a sandwich that it propels the, you through this incredibly wonderful portal into the next stage of what's going to happen. The montaging here is brilliant. We're going to be talking about a bunch of things here in succession, but... What I want to make as an overarching comment to all of it is that the montaging that's showcased here makes the previous montage of them prepping the Zephlorian look like a roller rink. You know, just super, super basic. Because this is masterpiece level storytelling. Mm-hmm. The ability to montage across a variety of characters that are not in one room, that are telling the meat and potatoes piece of this story that must pay off can you imagine if this hadn't paid off the story and the answer is of course you can't because it did 
And I, 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 as we again, as we get into these pieces parts here, I just wanted to make sure that everyone understands this is some of the most brilliant montaging I have ever seen. If we're not back by sunup, you'll know what to do. And for them, it'll only be in an instant. This is great. Simmons walks up to Piper and just says, we'll be, we'll be back by sunup. If I don't come back, you know what needs to be done. And it's easy for us to look at it now because you can go, okay, well, if I'm not back up, if I'm not back by sunup, well, I'm dead. So it doesn't make any difference. Otherwise, I'll see you in a second, really, is, is what it amounts to. Mm-hmm. And again, going back the second time, I was so very appreciative of these tiny little moments that instantly snap by you if you're not paying attention that instantly mean more, especially on the second watch. You're right. On the second watch, you understand the crypticness of the dialogue because even though this whole section here is an info dump, you're only getting spoon-fed the info that they want you to have. Yeah, yeah. But the fail-safe. Fitz's mind can't handle the implant. Man, this is just glorious here. And it's delivered so offhandly. I think that's what I really appreciated about it was that there was not this, you know, this this giant overtone of them trying to put it into Fitz's brain. And look, there's this graphic where it shows that it's trying to go in, but, you know, giant red Ghostbusters circle, it wouldn't work with Fitz's brain. They didn't have to do any of that. All it, you have to say it, is it's that it's not of, compatible. Right. It's Boom. a simple piece of dialogue, and only Simmons could do it, and there we go, and done. They did show us that it did work inside of Simmons' brain. So cool. Checkbox, right. no problem. But that the dialogue is delivered in such a cadence, in such a place, in such a time with the perfect score, it's delivered quickly and is a piece of the puzzle, and we move on. The lights turning back on like beacons in a deep warehouse. And this is another just incredible piece of showcase where the, the the memories are flooding back and they're taking root and like a dark warehouse you can you can hear the the chalk the caw, and you can see the lights beginning to appear in the distance as the lights come back on thereby illuminating what's inside the warehouse which is her life this is another piece of storytelling and showcase that is done so quickly so expertly so adept I don't have the words to explain it. Well, I'm going to try. No, I'm not. But <laughs> what I will say about this is that very few words need to be spoken. Where this is concerned, it's all about the acting. Oh, yeah. And the work Elizabeth Henstridge does in this episode. Hell, this entire show, but in this episode. Holy crap. Lay it out. The enemy is on the way. This is great. Instantly amp up the peril. It's, you know, it's damning the torpedoes. It's time to time to time to get after it. As we have in so many instances during this program, this is it again. The difference is that we know that this is it. Right, this is it and we're not party to it. It's like, all right, lay it out. I mean, it's dire. What are we going to do? And then, oh, we're just going to cut away because the audience doesn't get to know the plan. Right. 
Nathaniel enters the Grateful Dead poster and misses out on ruling. <laughs> I was wondering when eventually Nathaniel was going to get into soliloquy mode. And we're not quite there, <laughs> but we're almost there when he's talking to Sybil. And he, he looks out the giant picture window and he refers to the Grateful Dead poster that's in front of us. I, I just about started rolling and I'm like, man, this is some more of that incredibly appropriate humor that's placed here because mm -hmm. it has no place, but it's perfect. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and it's totally it. lost on artificial beings. <laughs> Sybil that's never seen a, a Grateful Dead anything in her life. Right. This is more of the megalomaniac so side oh, yes. of Nathaniel. Yeah, this is more of this is more of Nathaniel's uh, inner voice speaking to Nathaniel as the audience, <laughs> because that's what Nathaniel does. Yeah, and I, I really, really enjoy that. And again, for those of you that have forgotten, we've only known Nathaniel for what six episodes, something crazy short of of the screen time that we've gotten from him in those six episodes. Not too damn long. So being able to create a compelling villain that you're entertained by just when he says 25, 30 words in a segment, pretty frickin' awesome. Time to get to the business of killing. <laughs> Again, this whole little segment of, of, of wonderment. Oh, because, you know, blowing up every single shield base in the previous timeline wasn't killy enough. What wasn't checkbox killy enough, right? So... <laughs> I love that. I love all of this. And again, it, it, it adds to the flair of Nathaniel and exactly what we're dealing with here. None of which has changed just because the circumstances have. Hook her up. Time to take her power. There it is. Wow. I am so glad that we glanced on this in a previous episode because, I mean, here it is. It doesn't get any more bold than you might keep people around. You might even keep people around that kind of piss you off, but you're only keeping them around not because you love them so much or they're such a valuable asset to you. It's because you want to suckle their powers like the salt-sucking monster inside of Star Trek. That's why. <laughs> and I love this. I absolutely love this. It's Again, it's, a, it's, a, it's another chalk up for him to show exactly how absolutely interested in fulfilling his motives, period, paragraph. First, you need to put these on. The temple suits revisited. Talk about master stroke. Uh, Time travel, baby. It, uh, wow. This is one of the first times when I watched it first where I'm, I'm like, I, I'm not entirely sure what I just saw, but it's awesome. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved it even more the second time where you realize that they have to play the game. Oh, yeah. They have to play the game to get it all done, and it, it was delicious. The Zephlorian goes dark. A tiny little disbelief pill. Look, we've talked about about 800 positive things, so I got to talk about this one. The Zephlorian is able to just turn off the power quick and go undetected past the sensor nets that are thrown out by these massive super high-tech ultra futuristic starships and i'll take it because i'm totally satisfied with the rest of what's going on here so i'll take it i didn't have to take a disbelief pill because one would believe that with enoch's help 
the Zephlorian has a whole bunch of Chronicom tech or anti-tech mm -hmm. to keep them safe. Mm. Revisiting yourselves in a previous time. This is just stacking on top of the temple suits that we talked about. But it, again, it was it was fun glancing with all of our characters, in particular Simmons, who gets to accidentally glance with herself as well, mm -hmm. thereby fortifying more memory and more roots and more illumination inside of the dark, deep, now being illuminated warehouse that is her mind. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Grabbing another core. All right, when in doubt, when time traveling, when sauntering by the time monolith once more, let's grab another core. Loved it. Well, that's because that's... Perfect checkbox. That's the, the... Yin and yang. Yin and yang. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. It, it's how those monoliths work. You had to have... If you have one, you've got, you've got a piece of one, and, you know, it calls out to the other. So one would believe that that's all a part of the mechanisms that they used, yeah. not only to help the Zephlorian be the Zephlorian, but then also what Fitz used for the Quantum Bridge. Yeah. And again, I loved it. I love how quick it is. I love how no bones about it. Look, at it's we're drilling into the time monolith. So I think we're getting a core from the time monolith. A check. A huge explosion. And Fitz jumping in tandem helps to cover up the energy signature. Love this, too. Uh, not only was it incredibly dramatic, but it plays into the whole plan thing of things. Checkbox. Love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does the Zephlorian get back to the alien ship undetected? I guess by shutting off the power and... Yeah. They shut off the power. Mm -hmm. All of their sensors detected the previous... Zephyr, well, no, it was a Zephlorian at that point in time, too. Right. Hovering over the, the temple. Right. And then one of All the All sensors are on, on that. Fire. Mm -hmm. Boom. I think it's destroyed. Sybil kind of doubts it. Again, it's an, it's another one of those, got to take the disbelief pill, because I will, mostly because... Look at Empire Strikes Back. True. Empire Strikes Back, Millennium Falcon, dives towards the Star Destroyer. Track them. Yeah. Right. right. And then You're all right. of a sudden they, they pull in, they, they do the whoop-de-doo and land on the back of whatever the hell that part of the ship was. Yeah, the, the whoop-de-doo maneuver. Got it. Th okay. That part that didn't have windows. <laughs> right, right. For somebody to look out and go, hey, there's Ooh, a ship cool. hanging on mm. us. It's it's very, uh, in, I, in, in, my, in my mind, it's very similar to that. Well, what I love, though, is that even though I have to take the disbelief pill, it's moving so fast and I am so already satisfied, I didn't care. The blowing through the bulkhead at 18 minutes and 25 seconds. Wow. Now, for those of you that are wondering what I'm referring to, I'm telling you, stop what you're doing, including listening to this podcast. Go over to minute 18 and 25 seconds inside this episode and watch the bulkhead blow inside of that. And tell me that that's not some of the best ever special effects you've ever seen. Because, wow. I'm telling you, you might think, oh, explosions. We do that all the... 
wow, it's that freaking good. Whoever was in charge of collecting that fire effect for that special effect, you deserve all kinds of awesome. Because I was, I had to go back and watch it several times. That, that's how <laughs> impactful it was. And it is absolutely kick-ass. Speaking of kick-ass, ass-kicking ensues. And here we go. There had to be at least some semblance of ass-kicking inside of this finale of not only this episode, mm-hmm. not only of this villain, but of this entire program. And this is where it all starts. This is where it starts. And it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Daisy's wrecking ball scene. Holy shit. Again, phenomenal fight choreography. It's so much fun to watch Daisy wrecking guys. And that the guys being wrecked here are chronicoms makes it even that much more delicious because she can essentially just unleash. And and I love it. I love watching every second of it. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it's Daisy doing what Daisy does. Yeah. L.M. Coulson gets caught. Very interesting. I'm so glad that he didn't get caught, you know, just to just a further part of the pl- Oh. Well, I'm sorry, what, your Well, part of his plan was to get caught. Well, no, I just, you know, you and I have talked about that in, in past times, where getting caught is part of the plan. Right. Well. But it was part of the plan. I know that. So what are you doing? Are you are you are you giving it a ding? Well, or not? Again, with now nine hundred and fifty positives. No, it doesn't matter. It goes to ten. It goes to ten. <laughs> the bottom line here is that I I only wrote it down because I wrote it down as a factoid. I.e., he gets caught. But then as I was reading it, I'm like, oh, well, that falls squarely into the whole you and I bitching about how character X gets caught because it's. All part of the plan. Yeah, well, when it's all part of the plan, then it's stupid. <laughs> but when it's not presented as part of the plan, when it actually it, it legitimately looked like, oh, shit, yeah. Coulson, well, it, Coulson it, got caught. Not only that, and it was good. What I also love, too, about that whole thing with uh, he and Sybil and the rest of the entourage, the repartee there is just so, it's exquisite. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely exquisite. It's worth it being... <laughs> All part of the plan. Yes. The face-off. Daisy and Cora-powered Nathaniel. We knew it was coming. We knew there'd be soliloquies left and right from both sides. We knew that the arena of where they would have this epic battle would be interesting. But we could not have pictured it that it would be inside of this giant spheroid honeycombed power room thing wow again for a television show on a weekly budget that is in its last season its last episode you got me it's i'm all there no again it was simple because i watched it twice the second time around i noticed how simple it actually was yeah but if you're paying attention to all of that and not paying attention to the ass kicking that is going on then you're watching the program for the wrong reasons right the other thing too is that again it it, it's so quick and it's pushing through the story so quickly that it never has a chance to roll up on itself Mm -hmm. 
Yo's Slow Mo Roll. This is fun. She didn't get much to do inside this episode, so why not? Let's have this wonderful showcase of Yo's powers that aren't just a wonderful nod and tip of the cap to the character, but also a complete info dump for Susa. <laughs> so I loved it. <laughs> right, I yeah. thought it was great. Oh, so I, that's what she can do. Yeah. I, I, I Again, uh, it's the terribly appropriately placed humor to further the story and build character development. Mm-hmm. Checkbox. And it's, the, I th- and it's very human, too. Without when you, question. When you think about the yeah, human condition, question. when you see things that your mind may not be able to deal with, you can either process that information, deny that information, mm-hmm. or let it overwhelm you. Right. And where these characters are concerned, because they deal in the extra normal, they use humor to diffuse the situation. When I was a bouncer in a nightclub on the wrong side of the river of St. Louis, holy crap, you're talking about some peril. But guess what we did as soon as the peril was done? We laughed it off. Because that's what you have to do while all of that adrenaline is finally dumping out of you. Yeah. And stuff like this, very human. And I think, and it goes to Marvel. I've always said this. Marvel characters, whether they be super or not, have always been human first, superhero second. Whereas DC, it's more of the power above the person. Sousa is willing, just unable. This is fun too, again, affirming that we have the character of Sousa as Sousa is. I loved it. I thought it was great. Sousa, for being the newest addition and for not being around for all that long, gotta say, he fits in. Gemma's memory returning. Wait, blubbering before the killer battle? Huh? (laughs) Pardon me while I blubber inside of this description of what is finally delivered to us, which is all of the lights quickly coming back on inside of the incredibly dark warehouse that is Simmons' mind because, wow. I don't want to say I saw this coming. I I didn't see it coming. I felt it coming because there had to be something more than just protecting Fitz from the Chronicoms. Right. I, I don't have kids. Me and my wife have talked about it. We're not going to have kids. Right. But it doesn't mean that I hate children right and it doesn't mean that when characters that i've been caring about for seven freaking seasons of a show end up having that life and being able to have that that offspring and you see the the love and devotion to that offspring i'm human right i'm going to blubber up just slightly sure well i think what i love about all of this is that when I say just slightly, I, I, I blubbered like a little little girl. Yes. I, I, I really did. Bubbling, blubbering piles of man flesh. Yep. Just to be sure everyone's clear. Yes. Yep, we're there. Got it? Okay. All right. <laughs> now that we've established that, the, the fun here is that the lean into family here is more than just what you're seeing on the screen. It's more than the stories and the characters that have been delivered in the show. Yeah. It's more than the relationship between the characters and the fans it's the properties and the fans 
where all of this has that, as all of you are listening to this, you have, whether you know it or not, there is a level of care that you have for a variety of different Marvel products. Whether it's something as simple as perhaps a Funko Pop of Agent Carter. Thank you very much for the Christmas. You're welcome. Or one of the many revered movies inside of your collection like, I don't know, Ant-Man. Or maybe one of the other films in your collection that has a more prestigious showcase place like Captain America, the first Avenger or the entire maelstrom of character development for your favorite Marvel character. You have a tether to that character that is very akin to anything family. That's what we're fighting for. Adding to my blubbering pile of man flesh during this particular episode is my daughter who is 17, so obviously older than Arya showcased here. But I remember the days when she was that young. And she was very interested in seeing her mommy and daddy. And, you know, just joyous. Mm. And where she would wonder where we went, even though we were gone for just a few minutes or seconds. And so all of that absolutely hammered home. And I have to think that many of the people watching the show have at least some of those style memories whether it's your own child or a nephew or a niece or someone that you just care about that might be a child, it's preying on that, but it's, it's, it's using it to solicit a response. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you the response was solicited and given. Colson's authorization, green light and the cavalry arriving. All right, here is your little coup d'etat dance. Ha ha. It's all part of the plan that totally works. The repartee here between Ellen Coulson and Sybil is... It's, it's, oh, it's great. It's Sybil disobedience. <laughs> it's wonderful. Then, of course, the cavalry arrives to do the second half buttock of the ass-kicking. I was already blubbering before. And then we get <laughs> we get the Coulson-Sybil stuff, and I'm like, yeah, all right, nope, things are going to be okay. And I tell you what... It's not often that I can cry, cheer, and laugh all at the same time because Coulson does the... He gets to have his mysterious Thank grin. Thank you for the authorization, and, dumbass. And, and, oh, oh and, and what's supposed to happen next? And then the, the, the damn ceiling crashes in, <laughs> Melinda May drops, and she says, the Calvary. I'm like, oh... I, I don't want to get into it because I don't want to reenact how I how I processed all that yeah. on the couch in front of my wife while she was doing homework as I was watching this. But needless to say, it was a whole bunch of emotions that made me want to get up and like cheer yeah. and yell at the screen. But I composed myself enough to where I just yelled out loud and got really happy while tears are falling down. Yeah, it, it, it was extraordinary. The, this whole, again, roller coaster ride of this incredible drop and up and down and up and down and up and down. Just a, a phenomenal offering here, especially inside this portion of the episode. Nope. Mac in a boot. I, I Situational think, humor. I didn't think it could be that satisfying, but... God damn, that was satisfying. <laughs> Crunch. <laughs> I love that. Again, you take it you take love it that. out. It does nothing to detract from the episode. Right. Keeping it in, 
it's something that Mac would do yeah. and say. Yeah, with his hands full, no less. Mm-hmm. I just I loved it. I thought it was great. Cora arrives and also steps forward. There is a video that we mentioned inside of the episode before this one that refers to many of the people that create the show and their acknowledgement of not only fandom, but of what they were able to create with this show. And inside of that, one of the writers who happens to also be Asian mentions that inside of this series, it's great that uh, little Asian girls like she used to be now have a couple of Asian women to look up to in regard to role models. This portion of this episode is tremendous because when Cora does arrive, she steps boldly to the plate and hits a Grand Slam home run. I loved it all. Uh, since they've introduced Cora, I have loved this character that we've known for what? All of 17, 21 minutes tops? Seriously, on screen? Yeah. I, I don't think it's more than that. But the gravitas that she provides, the the unwavering, I'm providing you a delicious characterness that this actress has conveyed with Cora is one of the best I've seen in one of the shortest windows being provided, I think I've ever seen on television. Just really, really well done. I want to say it's definitely one part writing, one part acting. My only issue here is this is something I saw coming. And I even mentioned it in the previous episode. Yeah, yeah. And I said I'd be okay with it if it was done properly. Mm -hmm. And where this is concerned... I'm 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 perfectly fine with it because she's been betrayed by Nathaniel. She realized that she was m- being manipulated, that Daisy isn't evil, and that these people are trying to help her. So the fact that she would step forward and help them makes sense. Now I'm I'm saying that here because I do have something to bitch about later about Cora further on down the line. We're giving them empathy. This is where I was really glad I saw this a second time. Yeah. The wanna kick ass guy was not very appreciative of this. And as I watched it the second time, I was able to process a whole lot more and realize that that's where the Chronicoms come from. Mm, that, yeah. that That's where they were. And that their entire existence, in particular inside of our iteration that we were given during this entire season of the Chronicoms, in particular the Chronicoms riding aboard these ships, was completely derailed. And so giving them empathy and the all of them staring up into vast whiteness space and the tossing down of weapons... And then the very simple dialogue that was used when they snap back and they get a a response from the one Chronicom. Brilliant again. Just incredibly well placed. I don't know that I'm ever going to forget that. That's going to help propel a lot of the... A lot of the times I think a lot of us want to have really deep knee-jerk reactions. It's so incredibly easy to go, give them empathy. What, What the f*** are we talking about here? It's so easy to say that. But when you give it a minute and process what you've just seen, well, it makes perfect sense. Not only does it foster along the storytelling, but it 
fosters directly into what we're fighting for here, which is not to go and just kick ass because we can kick ass. And again, I, the, the deep meaning that that's given me as a, a, a shut up and wait a minute and process something is very, very deep to me. And I, I, I appreciate the show and the writing staff for giving me that because I, I would not traditionally have that. Well, it goes into the the it goes into the whole being better than your enemy. Mm-hmm. The enemy wants to destroy humanity, destroy Earth, because it's responsible for destroying their home planet in a very sideways, long way around the country road type way. And and so they're 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 bloodthirsty. Well, you can either destroy them all and do exactly what they want to do to you or you you take the problem away mm-hmm. it, it's it's a great way of solving the the problem the only issue i have with it is the it's the progression of powers where core is concerned because up until now we've seen big explodey girl and big uh, power surge girl and you take all the power down at a lighthouse We've never seen amplify signal all the way down to the earth power. It's, it's, mind, it's mind control. Well, it's it's two parts. It's May being jacked into Sybil's little controlly doodad. Yeah. But then the signal is boosted through Korra. Okay. Again, it's it's one of those things to where we've never really talked or seen her powers being used that way. Now, we're supposed to believe that Fitz knows that her powers can work that way because it's all part of the plan. The beginning of the episode, he says, Cora is the key. Of course, Cora has to be the key. It's convenient. Let, 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 let me just put it that way. I'm not really, I'm not bitching about it, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's awful convenient. I will agree with that. I'll agree with that. Even, you know, the master turnaround for me, i.e. we're giving them empathy, was not in love with it. And I understood it more watching it the second time. But you're absolutely right. Convenient it is. Daisy gives all. All right, pretty powerful stuff here, dude. Yeah. That that face-to-face, literal hand-to-hand combat moment, pretty freaking deep. Right, it was. And, and this was the matchup that needed to happen. Yeah. This is the man who almost killed Daisy, ripped everything out of her, stole from her. Nobody else was going to be able to put Nathaniel Malik down but Daisy. An issue that I had, though, is Nathaniel barely uses Cora's abilities. He constantly keeps using the Quake stuff. And I'm like, okay, so we're, you know, back and forth, the same power, I get that. But what was the point of stealing her power and proving the whole doubling up on power ability mm-hmm. of his process. If you're not going to use them. If you're not going to use them. Because, yeah. you know, he walks into the fight earlier in the episode and his eyes are glowing and he's like, oh, he took her power. And then we don't even see him really try to use those until the very end of this fight. And I'm like, well, that was kind of a waste now, wasn't it? Because I'm led to believe through watching everything Korra's been able to do, had he used Korra's abilities, probably could have gotten the edge on Daisy. Eh. But it's not important right now. But it's not important right now because (laughs) 
evidently Nathaniel, and, and we'll write it off right here, Nathaniel wanted to beat Daisy at her own game with her own powers. The ego on this man is his worst enemy. Yeah. And his downfall. And his ultimate downfall. Explosive decompression effects. My God. Wow. Again, like I couldn't pile on more inside of the the incredibly giving moments of special effects inside of this episode. This was just phenomenal. I, I, I don't, I don't have the adequate words to say how impressed I was by this because when you read it on the script, it would look like something three quarter shot outside the Chronicom vessel. A small explosion turns into a series of larger explosions and dot, then dot, it dot happens dot and that's what we get. That would be the description inside of the script. And what we were given here was an absolute treat to watch. It was a feast for the eyes and an absolute nod to the power that's going on here. Uh, that is the centerpiece of what's supposed to be the death blow for both Nathaniel and Daisy. Daisy is floating debris in space and is resurrected. The space that the editor has left inside this episode is there intentionally because while I'm willing to go back and visit on the we're giving them empathy, okay, check. I do recognize that I needed a second thought there. I gotta tell you guys, I was ready for Daisy to die here. I don't, and I don't have a bloodthirst for Daisy's death. Right. But I was absolutely ready for Daisy to be gone here because she gave all. Yeah. But she didn't give all. She did. She did give all. She didn't ask to be brought back to life. Cora, the living familial AED machine. What the fuck? I hated this. I hated this almost as much as... It's not that I wanted to see, like, pieces of Daisy floating in space. Because I, I didn't. No. What I wanted was she would have given all. And right. there isn't this magical, we'll, we'll find her somehow in the, the oodles of space debris with our tracking device or something. Right. I don't know. But this is, this is akin to, to frickin' Princess Leia doing a Mary Poppins through space during The Last Jedi to get back into the damn ship, which I thought was ridiculous as well. I was ready for us to mourn Daisy Johnson, Agent double, Daisy Johnson. Quake. Double agree. Double I, agree. I was like, who who are they going to kill? Deke gets off light. He gets left in an alternate timeline. <laughs> off light? Are you kidding me? He gets off light. He's, he's going to have a kick-ass life. He's the master of the universe inside right. of that universe. Somebody's got to die. And guess what? It can't be Coulson. Right. It can't be L.M. Coulson because he, we've done that before. Yeah, several times. times. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. who's it going to be? Yeah. And when you boil this show down, go back to that very first episode. Who did it really revolve around? Mm -hmm. Coulson. Yep. And Sky. Yes. Can't kill Coulson. We're going to kill Sky. And I, I, like you, I was shocked. I was heartbroken. But I was okay with that because... 
it would make sense that not everybody gets out of this alive. And then talk about, uh, you know, progression of power. Oh, so Korra also has the ability to bring the dead back to life? What? That has nothing to do with explodey powers. The, The only thing I could even remotely think of here is that, okay... Daisy's body can undergo teragenesis, and while absolutely impacted, and, dare I say, for the better, so she can somehow survive the vacuum of space for several minutes? I know. In space, a couple of seconds? Not so awesome. Not so awesome. (laughs) This is more than a couple of seconds. It's the the reason why I brought up The Last Jedi, because... Leia was out in frickin' space yeah. more than a couple of seconds. Yeah, and unconscious. And unconscious. So there wasn't. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm conscious, but I'm dying in the vacuum of space. Let me use my magic powers. I'm I'm kind of okay on the magic powers part. The problem I'm I have a problem with on Leia is she's unconscious, and so she can't dead. put up a force You're field dead. of any kind. And You're so dead. all all oxygen, all of it disappears from your body, which is. For those that aren't familiar, not good. You're dead. And Daisy and, was dead yes. until Cora comes along, puts her hands on her, uses the the special energy whammy, and reanimates her. Yeah. How? Yeah, How I, does that work? And well, the answer is and family. That's why. Well, and and that's right. That's and, where and I, so saith the script. Right. And, and I I absolutely hate that. I wouldn't hate it if they established it in an earlier episode. If she had some sort of mutation from her mother's power. Because remember, Jaying had the ability to heal herself. If Korra had some sort of offshoot of that, if we saw it, I'm going to bring Star Wars back up again. I was just going to mention let's, Star Wars. Let's, let's say Rise of Skywalker. We get Rey. Right. She has the healing abilities. She's able to fix the giant lizard The giant snake thing. creature. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Well, we get this so that we know that later on down the line, she can heal later. It, it, it gets established. It might be kooky, but it still gets established. This doesn't get established, man. Yes. <laughs> I I wish that there was a way for me to try and fight for the other side, but I can't. I can't. And I can't because it doesn't make any damn sense. Not only does it not make any damn sense, the other way makes so much more sense. Taking a stroll down Reason Lane, you were guarding our everything. We've already happened to cross the, the finding of a daughter that, that was before. What I really wanted to focus on inside this particular commentary was the showcasing of the same-ish angles of previous memory lights coming on in the dark warehouse yeah. versus the later given memories that now have altered their angle just ever so slightly and, and super artistically, where it's either a portion of the same scene that was being filmed or they just cantilever the camera just a little bit so you can catch what's underneath. Mm-hmm. And what they've done here with, with Arya was just magical in regard to storytelling, where not only was it that they were doing this so that everybody could live, not only had they done this because they had able to take a break because of the time machine factor and have a life, true, checkbox, but because they'd created another life that they had to also see fostered forward. And so it's incredibly moving. And uh, again, the 
going back to Piper and to Flint, and, and they're, you know, they're they're kind of looking in oh, one direction, and as they turn around, and oh, you're back. I loved all of that. I thought it was incredibly evocative. It, it instantly helps you understand the bigger picture of what's being presented, and another great checkbox inside this episode. The accentless child is beyond super cute. What do you mean accentless? She had a little lilt. She sounded like her daddy. Okadoke. One year later, at 31 minutes. Before we get into the one year later discussion, I wanted to make sure everyone understands that we are only 31 frickin' minutes into a 43-minute episode of this show. Yeah. And by my numbers of our recording device in our raw format that you guys don't traditionally get a listen to, unfortunately, we are at one hour and 53 minutes. (laughs) So we have spent five times the amount that was info-dumped slash shared inside this original episode with you all And we're only at 31 minutes when the one year later card comes out. And I, the the second time, I only looked the second time. The second time I watched it, I hit the pause button because I wanted to go to the restroom. And as I hit the pause button, I'm like, no way is that 31 minutes. I must have fast forward (laughs) or something. Well, it is. Yep. It's, It's 31 minutes in at the one year later card. So, you know, holy balls. I just, the, the, the speed of storytelling and, and, uh, the adept nature of storytelling conveyance is off the chart. It's absolutely off the chart. An incredibly warm venue, almost unrealistic looking, but wow. That's kind of fitting that they would have this, this meeting in the bar speakeasy safe house yeah. From the first episode yeah. of this season. Yeah, and I would focus on the word safe house because it is. It's where they all know that they can go. They'll now be able to go there annually, according to their progression of discussion. And they'll be able to share what's going on in their lives quick, and then they'll disappear back to their real lives. Literally disappear. A classified story worth telling in Moscow. Mmm, Wow. This is tremendous. It's the first portion that we get from Mac as he arrives late inside of the 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 uh, safe house that we'd referred to previously. And it's delicious. All of their arrivals is wonderful and damn, I have it I have to give it to the entire staff of actors how they were able to hold it all together. I've no idea cuz I was not. <laughs> Every single one of them I, I all of them. Didn't matter how small the line was, didn't matter how robust the themes were being shared. Didn't make mm. any difference. This was the second pile of blubbering man flesh set with a giant smile across my face because it was just so wonderful. And it's interesting that they would have this classified story be set in Moscow, seeing as how by now in an alternate timeline where COVID doesn't exist, <laughs> the Black Widow film would have come out. Yeah. Now, of course, yeah. though, the Black Widow film takes place in mm. between Captain America Civil War Prequel, right. and Avengers Infinity War. Mm. So 
maybe it has something to do with a character from the movie that's still in Moscow. I'd, or maybe it has nothing to do with yeah. anything. Yeah. But it's interesting to wonder. Yeah. Piper's reward mentioned. This is great. Well, we really didn't. We didn't talk about it in uh, in the talking points. Is before they jumped, before Gemma left and Fitz went into the the pod, they said, "Guard this with yeah, your I'll life. Give you anything you we'll want. give you anything you want." Yeah. And and you're, you you th- you take it as like, okay, well, calm creepy. down. Sure. But it's because the damn kid is in the back of the pod. Yeah. So so it all makes sense. And then we get this this word of the reward. It's like, oh, okay, so she's she got her reward. Are we going to see what that is? And luckily enough, we, we do get to see it. Piper leans over to the person driving the car that, that she and Yo are in. And you look over. Holy shit, it's Davis. It's Davis. <laughs> so He's an LMD, baby. Yeah. And uh, that's wonderful. The only thing better there is Yo entering into the drop zone. Just a, a, another another fantastic nod to the power that is Yo and someone I hope we see. Yeah, the, these conversations that they have, the, the, they drop little hints about what they've been doing this past year. And it's all things that we all want to see. It's like, oh, why can't we have a season eight? Because then we could see all this stuff. But, of course, like any good show, when it ends, it should leave you wanting more. May is telling stories to the newcomers at Colson Academy. Terribly appropriate. Teared Being, up a little here, too. Yeah. Oh, and without question here. Uh, knowing, knowing the life of action that one Melinda May has led that had a very short vacation when she was discarded to the file room I, it is tremendous that she's able to go back and share the stories with the people that are coming in to shield and the fact that there is a shield because mm-hmm. remember shield got defunded yet again there was no shield right. defunded awesome. it, it, it was after director mace and general talbot aha uh-huh. shield shield went away again yeah and it's nice to see because, because you know, Max talks about this classified mission. Yo's on a, a mission with Piper and L.M. Davis. But they're not saying we're agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This right here is our first clue that S.H.I.E.L.D. exists and we're going back to basics and we have an academy open. And Flint has joined the academy. Yeah. And not only that, it's named after Phil Coulson. Fitz says, goodbye, everybody, and fades away quickly. I thought this was great because faster even than he appeared inside this season, he's gone. Mm. While absolutely bittersweet and not nearly the sandwich that I wanted, it's terribly appropriate inside this episode. He's a father now. He's got he's got things to do. Speaking of things to do. Gemma returns to Nirvana. Family, husband, daughter, blue skies. Mm-hmm. Mac provides a code and a present. Now, couldn't possibly be some, I don't know, 
flying red freaking car named Lola. Wow. Now, while we all kind of knew that that was coming, and we're going to talk about it more, so don't think we're getting off that scot-free. That was wonderful. This it's, moment it's another... alludes to it. You, you, you think when, when Max starts talking about being a mechanic, you know, I'm all, now I'm a mechanic at heart. I'm like, did he? Did he, he do did. it? Of course he did. And again, as we run through all of these things, the repartee between everybody saying goodbye and, and the hellos and the memories is just delicious. Be careful out there, both of you. Mac gets to tend to his helicarrier. Wow. How tremendous is this? The only thing more exciting is that, thankfully... They only gave us about a second and a half of the big chocolate man that makes me cry until they snap to where he's taking care of business on the deck of a helicarrier in what must be the loudest conversation known to mankind between he and two agents on the deck. Frickin' wild. Oh, standing next to the engine, by the way. <laughs> that was 30,000 feet in the sky. So, wow. Just, just absolutely tremendous and... What a what a what a fun memory and last memory for Mac. Daisy talks family and the future with belief. When I refer to the delicious nature of this scene with all of our characters saying goodbye, it was fun that we got down to Daisy and Colson who were left. And inside of there, what this show has always been able to do that I appreciate so much especially after having to endure most of the recent Star Wars offerings that have been mostly terrible, is that there is a... The, the beliefs here are shared, but they're just shared. And they are not a blunt object over the head that caves in your skullcap that you're not only not appreciative of, but you're angry. And I'm so glad that they chose that direction to give us with the goodbye of Daisy, especially on the front end of this, then something incredibly drippy with message and signal. Mm. And because they would have had every opportunity. Now would have been the time. Now would have been the time. Because who wouldn't have watched? And that we didn't get that, that there was something far deeper and meaningful to be shared here was terribly appreciated. Then a space going ship a book, and a nebula. What can you say about this scene? It's tremendous down to the dialogue, the visuals, and the unspoken relationship that is conveyed by two people holding each other close. Wonderful. Really, really well done. Well, it's, it's also nice to see the scope of what has happened in... The timeline of this show, which mm-hmm. we would like to believe exists with the movies, but kind of hard to say that it does. Asterisk, right? Yeah. But I agree. But uh, again, to to see the progression, to know that Zephyr Three is the space-faring vessel that is, I don't know, seeking out new life and new civilizations. <laughs> I, you tell me. I mean, why are we going to space? Who are we looking for or who might we run into? The fact that S.H.I.E.L.D. is back in business with a helicarrier, no doubt. Most likely probably the original helicarrier since 
all the other new helicarriers got destroyed at the end of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. All these nice little pieces, everybody gets this nice little bow wrapped around their story. And we get to see just snippets of that. And again, like I said earlier, we want to know more. Yes. Lola with upgrades. The perfect bookend, second piece of bread to a terribly satisfying sandwich. Wow. And no dialogue. Only a very brief sneer from Ellen Coulson, who now knows where the car is parked because of the always perfect car alarm that is appropriately placed here. And then not only is it Lola, but it's Lola with upgrades. Lola Plus. Yeah, that is just immaculate. For a guy that loves vehicles and uh, appreciates a really, really good paint job, what what a what a just a wonder this was to watch. It wasn't just something cheap like out of most of the most recent Transformers films. It was something that was transformative as a scene on its own for not only the series transforming from what was into what is now the end where he then zooms into camera front and it's over. Brilliant. What this all means. What I realize as we pushed a break here during the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast as we have done so many times before is that these characters endure. Hmm. Regardless of whether we've known them for a series of a very few episodes or we've known them since the beginning, these characters endure. It's where you have to really stop and ask yourself, while we have not had the formal tether to anything MCU really inside this series, what do you do with these characters? Refers back to my intro for this episode. And while we were referring to Stanley and Jack Kirby as the people who have gone and are no longer around, I would like to have a lot of these characters, if not all of them, around. Yeah. It's time to talk more about the last episode during the last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in just a minute. We'll be right back. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the Editor Core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. For most, Friday the 13th means Jason Voorhees. What a lot of people don't know, however, is that there was another Friday the 13th, the television series. Join your podcast hosts, Mike and Nick, as they review the search for cursed antique goods during a perspective review of Friday the 13th, the series. It's the Curious Goods Podcast. Check it out now at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, it's the final season, season seven, the final episode, episode 13, What We're Fighting For. Every time Nick and I come back from break, it's time to open up our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers. The S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers are where Nick and I recognize either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element inside this episode, or something else that tripped our collective review night fantastic. Nick, what do you got? I don't have anything in regards to this episode for my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier. What my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier is going to focus on is a thank you. Just about seven years ago, Me and a handful of very creative people were fundraising, crowdfunding, were crowdfunding to get a little movie project off the ground. The film was entitled Four Color Eulogy, and it was a mixture of comedy and drama about a group of people who had grown up loving comic books and pop culture, and now as adults, they have to face the unknown of life, death, parentage, things like that, all using comic books as the spectrum of which they will deal with their situations. And lo and behold, one of our producers uh, sends a message to me and says, hey, so we know this guy who does podcasting, and he actually has uh, an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, and that's that's a comic book stuff, right? And then, you know, me and my, my me and my buddy Jason are like, <laughs> yes, it is. It's it's part of the Marvel Universe. Yes. And she says uh, he wants to know if you guys want a guest spot on one of the episodes so that you can pimp four color eulogy. And we're like, cool. I, I mean, I was elated. I was like, I've never been on a podcast before. That sounds cool. And then, of course, my friend Jason, one of the writers, actors, producers of the film was like, I need a week because I've. I've only watched the first episode. I got to get caught up. And I'm like, of course, you're not caught up. (laughs) I cannot, for the life of me, remember what episode it was. I know it was probably early 2014. I know it was before Winter Soldier. It was before Ward turned. And I remember coming in, having a great time, and and walking out and going like, all right, well, there, there I was. I was on a podcast. Not too long later, I get invited to come back by Mike to guest host on an episode, a couple of episodes actually, of the first season of Agent Carter. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm watching that show too. Sure, let's do this. The guest hosting just kept happening. And I'm like, boy, I must be a popular guy. 
either that or just nobody was was up to speed on Marvel all things. Get. Quick, get him. That that is is Marvel. <laughs> so, <clears throat> uh, long story short, uh, being a guest host turned into being the full time host of the Agents of Shield podcast, which then led me to discover my love of editing podcasts, which then led to my love of producing podcasts. So in the long roundabout way through the country road, as I'm trying to get to the point here, I just want to say thank you, Mike, for not only inviting me to be a part of this long, long time ago before I even knew I wanted to be a part of it, but how it has impacted and affected my life all for the better. Well, I mean, you can be a pain sometime, but you know, I know it's all in good fun. So again, thank you. And that is my shield dossier. Well, that's very kind. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Now, how am I gonna how am I gonna come up with my shield dossier that's better than that one? This now? is two episodes in a row where mine is better. I know last episode <laughs> I, I promised I wasn't gonna do any soliloquies or anything like that. Well, guess what? I lied. All right. My shield dossier for this episode is quite simple. Where do our characters go from here? How many times have you been involved in either reading a comic, watching a television series, and for whatever reason? Whether it's just the audience fell through, there is a writer's strike, there is something like COVID. Yeah, yeah. You know, and any one of a number of different things where shows just halt. It was the absolute peril of what was going on inside of... 2006 and 7 during that writer's strike it's like what well all these shows that we had thought about going towards or doing something to review instantly all become jokers in a deck of playing cards Hmm. because we want to lay we want to plant our flag on something that's going to endure that there is a good following on that we know we can get fan input from that we like because for, for those of you that think, you know, oh, man, you must love being an entertainment critic and reviewing movies. and all, There's a lot of crap inside of the entertainment cone. Yeah, there is. And so making sure that at least something that you're doing in regard to reviewing entertainment is something that you have any interest in at all is usually a card most entertainment critics do not get to play. Traditionally, there is a release schedule and you get to review everything that's on that list and that's all you get. But by the way, is your project done? And it's umpteen projects on top of umpteen projects and deadlines on top of umpteen projects and deadlines and things that you do not like. But is it done yet? We don't have that in podcasting and it's why I've stuck in this dynamic for now 17 years as a podcaster. It's because I get to go review whatever the hell I want right now. Right. We tend to hit the cone of stuff that I either really, really enjoy or something that moves me in a direction where I know other people will either chime in or also be moved to talk about whatever it is we're talking about. Hmm. Does that mean that we glance away from things that we don't like in particular? Not at all. In fact, I think your and my visit to the Inhumans is a perfect sample. (laughs) Of something that both you and I, I can say it. I hated it. I hated all of it. But we did it all. We did. And we did it all because we have 
planted a flag inside of Marvel that is a huge, giant beacon to people that care about great writing, about great storytelling, but more importantly, as you've already stated, human characters mm. that become extraordinary characters, not only because of superpowers, but because of their extraordinary tale. And that's what I wonder inside of my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier. What becomes, what becomes of these, not just the supers, but the people that have been introduced inside or created even inside of this series? Because it is the question, and it is what drove my entire intro for this episode and probably the closing of it as well. How do you go back? Can you go back? Because again, when the makers of the past are gone. How do you pick up the thread shared of an old life? How do you go on when in your heart you begin to understand there is no going back? That's where we ask you guys, what's inside your S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier for this episode, the final, last episode <laughs> of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu Streaming Season 7, Episode 13 what we're fighting for. Let us know what you think by going to our website over at agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Ah, the rating inside of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap, drinking from the storytelling fire hose and not drowning. A 1 is on the bottom of the scale, Get me a Cora AED stat. Everything starts at seven as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick, there are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? Well, as I stated earlier, uh, the, the the whole Cora ex machina for <laughs> Daisy is unforgivable. It, it really is. It's one of those things to where it's like it is a brick wall in the storytelling, but you take it because you get Daisy back, which is great. Yay. And everybody gets to walk away from this final mission of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I I had to it's this episode sat with me for a while. I had to ponder it because I was like. Boy, that's just so stupid that nobody died, that nobody sacrificed anything at the end. But then I, I thought about it. I thought some of my favorite shows, and I like some of those shows, when they ended, everybody was still alive. We brought it up several times. Star Trek The Next Generation. That show had an epic series finale. But guess what? They were all still alive mm -hmm. at the very end, mm -hmm. playing cards. Mm -hmm. But... Then we go to one of my other favorite shows, Farscape. And for those of you out there who have not watched Farscape, I will not spoil it. I will just say this. They kill some characters off. And I have never cried at network television, whether it be on sci-fi or not. I have never cried so hard when certain characters from this show died the way that they died. Mm. Mm. But that just goes to show the great storytelling and acting provided for that show when you care about a character and they go and they go in a way that you're like 
yeah, this is how the character would go. I don't want him to go, but he, he has to go because everybody else is, how are we going to survive? This person has to sacrifice themselves. And it's stuff like that. So I'm not disappointed that everybody had a happy ending. I'm not. I, I am not. Don't let don't let anything that I'm saying make you think that I'm disappointed that everybody had a happy ending. It's great that they had a happy ending because these people have been through hell. Mm -hmm. Seven years of hell. Mm -hmm. Would I have liked to have seen some revisits from characters from the past? Yes. I'm a little sad that we haven't had a Deathlock sighting in seasons. <laughs> I mean, that would have been cool had Deathlock been one of the characters standing next to another one of our main yeah. characters. Yeah. Oh, Deathlock joined S.H.I.E.L.D. All right. Or, you know, he's being hired to do a mission. All right. Maybe now that Mac is running S.H.I.E.L.D., wouldn't it have been nice to see Hunter and Mockingbird come back to the fold? So I can't, I can't hate the fact that, that nobody died. I can hate the fact that Cora is used as the get-out-of-jail-free card for Death to Daisy. But even that can't lower my score. This is a 10. Yeah, I was only partially kidding about my 950 score that I had started tallying up as we began <laughs> running through the episode right, down here. Right. I'm certain one of our Uber fans will go back and actually count exactly how many positives and negatives there are. While we are and have joked previously inside of our chemistry sets of my scale being broken, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it is broken. <laughs> and the reason it's not broken is because... I don't think we can actually measure this episode. It has to get the highest score because it gives us so much. Mm -hmm. And so I too give it a 10. What I also give a 10, and this is probably a piece that should have been inside of my dossier as well, but there are few things that give me satisfaction during my regular weekly operation. While I get many from everything that is my family, with the exception of maybe a uh, incredibly needy 17 year old now and again the chemistry set that you and i have established to mm. talk not only about this show but other things is easily life's barometer because there's always someone else to bounce something off of yeah and i know far too many people that don't have that and so to you i also say thank you because i give you a 10 oh I give you a seven. <laughs> no halvesies. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, there wasn't a halvesies. I was yeah, following your cool. rules. Yeah. That's where we ask you guys, what did you rate this episode? Frankly, if you rated anything less than a 10, you're an idiot. But we'll listen to you anyway. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form. And please tell us what you think rather than the always entertaining gotta hate you for insert reasons. I'm really not interested in reading anything like that. We'll listen to it and read it like we always do. But I'm telling you that the those of you that actually send in reasons and discussion points and the repartee that we have back and forth via email traditionally after that is far more interesting than learning about how you hated something that we hated inside of this episode. So until next time where we're reviewing something else because we're done here, <laughs> I'm Mike Wilkerson. 
one of your hosts. And I am Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And we will see you next time. We're thankful you were able to review this covert communication, reviewing the most recent episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on ABC. Be sure to tune in to our ongoing top-secret communication with agents all over the globe via our Facebook presence immediately. Facebook.com forward slash S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast to be the first to be made aware of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news, the arrival of our newest reviews, and more. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a super show for fans of superheroes. Uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. End this top secret two guys talking communication. This is the final sound check on the final episode of the final season of Agents of Shield. I think I'm finally going to have a drink. <laughs> All of them were in a room together mm-hmm. because because then the next Insert the song. I'm setting you up, man. I'm sorry. I'm giving you layups. I'm sorry. We haven't done enough of these programs for me to understand your your nonverbalness. Sorry. Because this is where I'm setting myself up. Do you not get that? Do you not see my I do. non-verbal I'm, cues? I'm waiting. Okay. <laughs> it's for the tone. Because I can actually listen and hear your <laughs> verbal cues. Oh, good. Please edit. Insert the taunt. <clears throat> Insert Morris Day in the time? All right. Oh, wee, oh, wee, oh.